want to ask if you'd please welcome and honor Danny Silk. All right. There's two of these. It's a double barrel. I only need one. Okay. Are you ready? Jesus. All right. How many of you have a like a smartphone type device? All right. Feel free at some point to tweet, Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is that you do. Don't pretend like you're reading your Bible. Just go ahead and own it. And tell somebody something that you've heard or that you hear that's, that's tweet-worthy, you know. It's, uh, just put it out there. Let people that couldn't make it here tonight get in on it. It's, uh, it's fun stuff. It's good stuff. Okay, I'm going to skip through this next thing. Boom, boom, boom. There we go to boom. That's what I want to get to. See all that? You see how that, how that works? That's how that, that's how that works right there. It's awesome. What we've been doing What we've been doing The last few uh, gatherings together really is to to put some to put some practicality to this idea that we're to love each other. You know, I, I know that it would be wonderful if it just magically happened. It would be wonderful just because everybody was uh, being Christ-like. It would be wonderful if uh, it would just be wonderful. It would just be wonderful. We, we, for whatever reason, we hear, we understand that we are to love each other, that it's a top priority of heaven. And then there's the practical, well, how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we, how do we be healthy people? Because it's, for whatever reason, it's not just magically happening. Does anybody notice that? I mean, marriage did not just magically happen for you, did it? No, an amazing marriage doesn't just accidentally happen. A, a, a beautiful relationship with your children doesn't just magically happen. It doesn't happen to you. It's something that, that you participate in. It's something that you deliberately cultivate. And so what I want to do tonight is, is I want to talk to you about The reason that you are alive is wanting to happen in your life. And there is a army of resistance and distraction that wants to keep it from happening. Who you are, who you were created to be is absolutely in your DNA. It is in is it's in who you've been 
created to be. And then there is, between you and that destiny, there's a bunch of options. There's a whole bunch of options. There's a whole bunch of demands. There's a whole bunch of opportunities. There's a whole bunch of clutter. And it is your ability to say yes to the things that you were created to do, to live, to be. It's your ability and willingness to own that and and to choose that that moves you through towards your destiny. But please understand that if you say yes to this, you just said no to this. And you have to understand something. If you don't learn to say yes with all your heart, you'll blame your life on what happens. If you don't learn to say no, you won't be able to say yes. If you don't learn to say no, somebody say no. No. If you don't learn how to say no, you won't be able to say yes. How many of you want to get really good with the gifts and the anointing that Jesus has given you? Yeah. Woe unto you. If you get really good at what he has gifted you to do and you don't learn how to say no. If you don't learn how to say no, you won't be able to protect the yes in your life. And it feels like it should just, you know, again, just automatically happen, but it doesn't. It doesn't because when you get really good at something, if you get good at fixing broken things, guess what starts looking for you? Broken things. You know, anybody a really good mechanic in here? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. (laughs) But if you're a really good mechanic in here, guess who calls you? People with broken cars. They're looking for you. Now, do they care if it's your son's birthday tomorrow? Nope. Nope. Do they care if it's your anniversary tomorrow? Nope. Do they care if you're exhausted? Nope. What do they care about? Their dang broken car. That's what they care about. See, people that have broken things are desperate. They're desperate. I need this broken thing fixed. I need this broken thing fixed. I need this thing that's not working. I need it to work. And you got a solution for me? You can fix my broken stuff. You can break. You can fix my broken life. You can fix my broken body. You can fix my broken heart. You can fix my broken soul. Let me tell you, I don't care what's going on in your life. Guess what I care about? I care about getting what I need fixed, fixed. That's what I care about. See, this desperate people are not evil. <laughs> 
They're desperate. And we like to think, well, you know, if I was, if I was like Jesus, if I was, if I was as anointed as Jesus, as I am supposed to be, I'm supposed to be doing greater things than Jesus. I'm actually supposed to be more amazing than Jesus was here, which is kind of amazing, really, if you think about it. But if I was like Jesus, you know what I would do? I would just fix everything. That's what I would do. I'd just fix it all. Does anybody notice that Jesus didn't fix it all? That's weird, huh? Jesus, if anybody could have fixed it all, Jesus could have fixed it all. He was here for how long? Well, for all total or what do you mean in ministry? What do you mean? How long was he in ministry? Three years. You can't even get a bachelor's degree in that amount of time. Three years he spends ministering on the earth. Hmm. We don't know anybody like that. With an anointing and the gifts and the healing rate that Jesus had, and he was here for three years? What could he have done in 60 years? See, it's pretty important that we realize that it's, it's not our job to make Jesus like us. It's our job to become like him. And, and, and Jesus, he, he, he was, he's, he's different than we think he is. Because we think that Jesus was this kind of crazy codependent person who just ran around just, you know, fixing everything. It's like, you know what? Um, he wasn't. He wasn't like that at all. He, he, he had a yes. He had a yes that he was, was going to do. And the first part of his yes was show people the Father. Word is out that he is healing everybody that he prays for. Everywhere he goes, people are getting a miracle. Everywhere. He's coming to another town, and people have gathered outside the city. Before he even gets there, people outside the city are gathered. What do you think they need? Autograph? They need a miracle. They have come out to the edge of the city to get a miracle. Jarius, a man with a, a sick daughter at home, makes it to the front of the crowd. And he gets to Jesus and he says, Jesus, will you come to my house, heal my little girl? And Jesus says something powerful. Ready? He says, yes. Yes, I will. Now, between Jarius and Jesus and Jarius's house is a crowd of desperate people. And the Bible says, and Jesus passed through the crowd. Jesus walks right through the middle of a pile of desperate people on his way to his yes. See, if you can't say no, 
You can't say yes. See, this desperate group of people would have stopped him and would have consumed him. See, this is what happens if you don't have control of you. Something will. Someone will. He passes through this group of people, and the Bible says they were thronging against him. Thronging. When was the last time you used thronging in a sentence? Yeah. yeah. Went to the grocery store today, and there was a thronging, thronging against him. No, they're thronging against him as he's going through the crowd. Jesus, stop. Hey, where are you going? Hey, I need something from you. What are you doing? Where are you going? Jesus, come here. And Jesus is moving through the crowd. And then finally, a woman who's been bleeding for 18 years presses through the crowd. She's breaking all the rules. And she reaches in and she grabs him by the hem of his garment. And she gets healed. And Jesus stops. And he says, who touched me? Now the disciples are looking at each other. Why does he ask these questions that aren't really questions? <laughs> who, who touched you, Jesus? Really? Really? Wouldn't it be easier to say, hey, anybody in town, not touch Jesus yet? (laughs) Jesus is on his way to his yes, passing through a crowd of demands. See, for us, we think, oh, gosh, if I had the anointing to heal everybody, how could I walk past somebody that needed healing? Do you remember when Jesus sent his disciples out in the boat, went to go pray, comes back, looks how far it is to go around the sea. So he decides, I'm going to walk across the top of it. You know, so Jesus starts walking across the top of the sea. He's having an especially anointed moment, okay? This is anointed. When you're walking on the water, you are anointed. He's walking on the water, and he looks over, and he sees his friends who he sent across the sea. And the Bible says they are, they are straining at the oars. They've been rowing for four or five miles. They're in the middle of the sea. And Jesus looks over, and the Bible says he was going to do what? What? Jesus was going to pass them by his friends who were struggling at the oars? No way. Tell me it isn't so. Now, my, my Jesus wouldn't do that. My Jesus wouldn't just pass them by. No way. I don't know who wrote that, but that's not true. See, it's important that you understand that Jesus has that choice. You have that choice. Now, 
They just cry out, oh, Jesus, is that you? He says, yeah, it's me. And he goes over and he helps them. You feel better now? You feel better? Okay. I just want to catch the spot right there where he was going to pass them by. Looked over, saw them, and was going to pass them by. Okay? I need you to make this connection here. Because the way our lives and our minds work, we think... Oh my gosh, you know, if I were Jesus. See, if, if you were Jesus and he lived the way that you think that, you would, he would still be in Nazareth today. Shaba, be healed. Who are you? Where'd you come from? How's this, how big is this city anyway? Here you go. Take it, take it. How are people finding out about me? Anyway, what is the internet? What is the internet? Well, don't you know I have a cross to get to? I came here to get to a cross. Now let me get to my cross. I just want you to want you to realize that he's not the way we think. He's the way the Father thinks. See, he. He says, you won't catch me doing anything except what I see the Father doing. Which puts his yes in charge of his life, not the demands of the people around him. Is this working? Okay. When the the apostles have... You know, they've seen the outpouring on the day of Pentecost and they're, they've seen thousands added to the church. They come out one day. I like to think it was Peter. Peter comes out and says, um, I need to make an announcement to you all. Uh, we will no longer be waiting on tables. Uh, we're, we're apostles. So we're going to be praying and studying. We're going to be taking care of this stuff. We, we won't be waiting on tables anymore. Steve, come here. This is Steve. <laughs> Steve and his friends, good guys, full of the Holy Spirit. They will be taking care of you. You will be taken care of. It just won't be by me. It'll be by these guys. You can just see some guy sitting at one of the tables going, hey, 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 what? Like, what? Oh, oh, you, oh, you, oh, you did not. Peter, 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 tell him, tell him you're still coming to my table, right? I, I've been, I've been here, I've been here since the, the upper room, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not some newbie, okay? You be, you be coming to my table, right? That's what you're saying. Nope, sorry, man. I'm not going to come to anybody's tables anymore. I'll be, uh, I'll be doing this stuff. Oh, well, look at you, all apostle and everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh, you're too good for us now is what you're saying. That's what you're saying. Fine. Fine. You know what? Me and my whole table, you know, we're, we're going to go to another. Well, there is no other church yet, but as soon as there is soon as there is we're going we are going 
Here's what I want you to understand. When you start setting limits with people, don't think they're going to be happy about it. When you start changing the level of access that people have to your life, don't, don't think they're going to be cheering for you. They can't believe it. Actually, they don't think you can do it. Oh, I don't think you can do this. You don't have that kind of control over you. You don't have this kind of control over your life. Well, actually, your life is kind of like this, this pink box here. That's your, that's your house, okay? That's your house. And this is your lawn. Your lawn has a green light under it. You have a green light at night, a green lawn at night. And out in front of your house is a road, a street. And every day, meow, meow, meow. Every day you have a relationship with whoever is in that car, right? They're driving by your house, meow. You have some kind of relationship with whoever's in that car. And then one day they decide to meow, pull in your driveway. Pull in your driveway. There's somebody in my driveway. Oh my gosh, the car, that car is pulled in my driveway. That's so crazy. And then they're like, knock, knock, knock. They're knocking at your front door. You're like, oh my gosh, they're at the front door. So you go to the door. They say, hey, can I come in? Like, oh my gosh, they want to come in my house. The people in that, the guy in that car wants to come in my house. And for whatever reason, you let him in. He says, hey, is this your refrigerator? Oh, pfft. I just went in and got him a refrigerator. What is happening? And then all of a sudden he's like, hey, is this your bedroom? Oh, <laughs> Can you feel what's happening? What's happening? What's happening is levels of intimacy are being crossed. There's, somebody is entering a new level of access a new level of intimacy in the relationship with you. And you can feel it. You can feel your anxiety climbing. Like, who is this person? Who is this person? Because not everybody, not everybody has that kind of access. I mean, lots of people drive by your house. Not very many people end up in your bedroom. So, theoretically, I mean. Who may ascend the holy hill of the Lord? There's a requirement, isn't there? See, there's a requirement to move from one level of access to the next. And it, it naturally filters folks out because not everybody wants to provide what's required. And then to move to the next level, even more people are filtered out because there's more required and more is required, and more is required. And the closer you get to me in intimacy and relationship, the more is required from you. And it's vital that you understand and that you practice these boundaries in your life. Healthy relationships have a structure to them. When... when when Jesus comes to the earth, out of all the people of the Jews, he chooses 12. He chooses 12 and he says, hey, 
I'm going to hang out with y'all. I'm going to give you access to my time, my energy, my resources, opportunities. You're going to get to experience things that nobody else on this planet has ever experienced. You are my disciples. And then out of those 12, there's Peter, James, and John. Remember that? Peter, James, and John were on the road. Peter, James, and John were in the room. Peter, James, and John were in the boat. Peter, James, and John were on the mount. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John had access, experiences of Jesus' time and energy that the other nine did not get in on. And then of Peter, James, and John, there is the one whom Jesus loved, John, that we read about in the book of John. When they're sitting at the table and Jesus announces that among them is a betrayer, Peter and James lean over and ask John, John, ask Jesus who it is. Use that special spot you got. He'll tell you. He'll tell you, is it me? Peter says, is it me? Find out, find out from Jesus who it is. See, the, the, the closer we, we come to this place of intimacy with someone, the fewer people there are there. Now, sometimes people get into these places through time, through trust. They get into a spot, but they don't take care of it. They don't take care of this place of vulnerability that I have offered to somebody. And so there's irresponsibility and disrespect in this, in this place of intimacy. And what do I do about that? I mean, how am I, how am I going to handle this? I mean, what do I do when people aren't respectful? Why did, they didn't bring respect with them. You, you didn't bring respect with you. I can't believe you're this close to me and you're having this much effect on me with that thing that you're doing. And I can't believe you keep doing it. Why can't people just be nice to me? I have tried so hard to just surround myself with nice people. And then people like you get in here. How did you get in here? And now that you're in here, I don't, I don't even know what to do with you. I'm just so, I'm just so stressed out. I'm just so, so burdened. I'm just so, I just feel so stressed out. Did I say that already? Yes. You know what I need? I need I need a trunk monkey is what I need. Who do you think you're honking at, huh? What, you don't like the way no, I drive? No, no. Come on in, I'll give you a driving lesson. No. You want a piece of me? Why don't you come out and get you some, huh? Where are you going to go now while well, you can't speed up by anybody now? You think you're better than me? Why you think, oh, I don't like the way you drive. What, you got a fancy new truck? Huh? Speed out! The Trump Monkey, a revolutionary idea you'll only find at Suburban Auto Group, pending approval by Attorney General. All right, back in the trunk. Oh, this is just so hard being in a relationship with this person. They're so mean. They're so powerful. 
perfect sucking sound of my life. Jesus, be my trunk monkey. How's that working out for you? No, see, Jesus isn't your trunk monkey. Jesus isn't going to just swoop in and take that, that, that abusive, disrespectful, irresponsible relationship out of your life for you. Whoa, is right. Yeah, that's not going to happen. That's not that's that's not going to happen. And you can you can pray and you can jump up and down and you can make declarations and you can you know, you can do all kinds of crazy stuff. And that relationship is not going to change until you do. As a matter of fact, heaven is working through that relationship. Most likely. Shaping your courage. Shaping your love. Shaping your responsibility. See, this is, the, this is just the setup to be the victim who's got a bad guy who needs a rescuer. If you missed that session earlier today, you might want to get a hold of that. But that cycle of irresponsibility is just begging to happen when you and I are not willing to exercise boundaries. Now, what is a boundary? Boundaries are what we, we need to keep things in our life that we want to stay in our lives. I want my joy to stay in. I want my hope to stay in. I want my true identity in Christ to stay in. I want my... Peace to stay in. I want my love and my honor. All those things are going to stay in my life. And a boundary keeps those things in my life. Like if you had a toddler and you let your toddler out in the yard, you better have a fence around that area because that toddler will just keep on going until they find trouble, won't they? Yes, they will. A boundary is also what keeps out of my life what I want to keep out. So I want to keep disrespect out. I want to keep bitterness out. I want to keep irresponsibility out. I want to keep abusive relationships out. So the same boundary that keeps the things in my life that I want to keep in, keep out of my life what I want to keep out. The same, the same boundaries that keep the toddler in a safe place are the same boundaries that keep the toddler away from the Rottweiler outside. And boundaries are also going to be what I use to protect the priorities of my life. And by priorities, I mean my time, my energy, my resources, and my relationships. My boundaries help me protect these things in my life. See, these are things that I am responsible for. No one else is responsible for how I use my time. Unless I'm a victim. And then I blame all these things for why I have no time. So you have the same 24 hours everybody else has. Your health, nobody else is managing your health for you. 
Nobody else is managing your energy levels for you. Your resources, your money, your talents. Nobody else can manage those things for you. So if you don't manage these things about you, these very important things are out of control. Your marriage, your relationship with Jesus, your relationship with your children, your friends, your your extended family, nobody else manages those things for you. These are yours. So this is why this becomes so important. I I, I begin to pay attention to my yes by setting limits and saying no. Okay? This is your life. This is you. No, it can't be you because you have no shoulders. It must be, it's your core. It's, 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 it's the core of your life. Let's just say it's the core of your life. And in the core of your life is room for you and Jesus. There's you and Jesus. Nobody knows you like Jesus. Doesn't even matter if you invited him him in or not. He's there. He knows you. He sees you. He knows everything about you, everything you're doing, everything you're going to do. He knows all about it. There is no more intimate relationship that you'll ever have than with Jesus. Outside of that, is your most intimate human relationship, okay? There's room for one. It's your most intimate. So if you're married, hopefully, that's your spouse. Doesn't have to be. Lots of folks don't have the spouse right there. If you're not married, well, that could be one of your parents. It could be one of your siblings. It could be a lifelong friend. It could be somebody that you uh, served in the military with or or you, you've, you've experienced a, a life-threatening situation with, and they've, they've, they've been with you in your most vulnerable state. However it is that you formed the most intimate soul tie with another human being, there they are, right there. Outside of that, there's room for more. So let's stay with the family model for a minute. This would be your kids. Your kids now have more access to your time, energy, and resources. Outside of this, there's room for even more. So maybe these are some of your friends or, or your, your extended family. Outside of that, you have room for even more. Maybe these are people you work with, go to church with, neighbors of yours. Outside of that, let's say that you're in the ministry or you have a, a public relationship with people and all of a sudden, boom, everybody wants a little piece of you. Hey, 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 you got a, you got a minute? Hey, can I talk to you? Hey, hey, hey. Okay, okay, whatever. I love you. You're out there, though. I love you, but you're out there. We got to have a place for everybody, though, because I keep my love on. Keep my love on. Handles broke on the on position, right? So I need a place for, say, Charlie Sheen and (laughs) Al-Qaeda, right? (laughs) I love you. I love you. It's going to be a while before you're at my house for dinner. But I love you. There's a few messes you, Charlie, Al, you're going to have to clean up. But I love you. I hope Jesus touches your life. I hope you get a radical transformation. I pray peace and joy and love over you. 
Love you, love you. See, boundaries communicate value. Boundaries communicate value. And so when you put boundaries around something, you're saying what's inside of this is valuable. If I take my wallet and I throw it out in the crowd and I just walk out of here, I just sent a message to everybody, there must not be anything very valuable in that wallet. If I take the same wallet down to the bank and I put it in a vault and I shut the vault door and spin the dial, you think, dang, we should have got that when it was out here. (laughs) And then you think, what could possibly be in that wallet that you would put it in a vault? Boundaries communicate value. If we go downtown, downtown San Francisco, we find a building that has no windows and no doors on it. What of value do you expect to find inside that building? (coughs) Nothing. Why? Because there's nothing required to have a relationship with that building. That building is actually going to be filled with thieves and vandals. People that can treat that building any way they feel like treating it. Because there's nothing required. Anything of any value will be stolen. And anything that remains will be defaced. See, when we're having a hard time setting boundaries in our life, we are literally attracting destructive, dishonoring, disrespectful relationships. You think the enemy knows this about you? I don't know, you think? Yeah. There's a, a verse in Isaiah 10 that, The king of Assyria is boasting and says, I have removed the boundaries of the people and robbed their treasuries. I have stolen because I have broken through their boundaries to protect what's valuable. And I have defeated them. I have overcome them like a valiant warrior. See, the enemy would love nothing more for you to get fully distracted by what's going on in your life and forget your yes, to not protect your yeses, to not protect your priorities, and to be swamped by the demands of the world around you so that you can come in and kill and steal and destroy from your life. How many of you remember the uh, seagulls in the movie Finding Nemo? Very good. They were Australian, though, so they sounded more like, moin, 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 moin. See, when you don't set limits on your life, you're like a loaf of bread on the pier in Finding Nemo. And you're surrounded by seagulls. 
moi, 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 moi. They're just, they're just plucking your life to death. You're like laying there going, oh, stop it. Please stop it. Stop, stop being so demanding. Please don't. Would you, would you just not need stuff from me? Would you not demand stuff from me? Would you just be nice to me? Can't you see I'm depleting? Can't you see what's happening to me? Yeah, there's not very much left. Moin, 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 moin. And, 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 you, and you live in this place of frustration. And you, you're like, I'm sick and tired. I'm just sick and tired of being picked on like this. And I'm the black car and you're the pigeon. We know what pigeons do to black cars. I just had it. Get away from me. Just get away from me! This is so sick and tired being eaten to death. Nobody cares about me. Nobody, nobody, nobody's protected my priorities. Nobody is. Nobody is. My priorities are dying. I'm dying. So finally, I just, I just like, get so mad and I just get so frustrated and I just like, get away from me! Ah! And all the seagulls go. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's your problem? My problem is people. Children. You. And so the seagulls are back. You're like, whoa. What are we going to do now? Now this person's like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have got so mad. I shouldn't have cussed. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said that about your mother. I'm so sorry. I, I just, you know what? I just need to be more long-suffering. I just need to endure until the end and be saved. (laughs) All right. Let me see if I can last longer on the pier next time. And all the seagulls are like, totally. (laughs) Moin, moin, moin. See, what you got to understand is that you train people how to treat you. You and I train people how to treat us. And so if you set a limit with with anger and frustration, ah, what happens when your anger and frustration goes away? Your boundary goes away. And so people will watch and wait for your anger and your frustration to dissipate And then they're coming back. And so some people in an act of desperation, they just, they just, ah, they just leave it on. Ah, ah, ah. Like, whoa, what happened to you? Ah. Wow. What is this? This is my boundary. Now, don't be deceived into thinking that bitterness is a boundary. 
Bitterness is a deception. And so when you turn your love off in an attempt to set a boundary, you've been deceived in canceling the best part of who you are because of somebody else's problem. So don't, don't think that you shutting your love off is a boundary. You've been deceived. And now you're paying the price for somebody else's mistakes. A lot of folks end up with relationships where these get really cloudy. These, these boundaries get really cloudy. Like, me and Jesus, me and Jesus, I just love Jesus. I'm just with Jesus. And I decide to get married. I'm like, hey, I'm going to bring you into my life with Jesus. And then all of a sudden, huh, whoa, um, wow, it's kind of hard to tell who my Lord is now. Um, because you, you are so much noisier than he is. But hey, you know what? Um, that's all right. We'll just we'll just we'll just create a trinity here. That's what we'll do. We'll have a little trinity here, and uh, now we're spending all this time together. And all of a sudden, we start popping out these children. And I'm like, hey, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, how how come you are in my bed all the time? What what are you doing in my bed? Where did where did my where did my spouse go? I don't even remember being married. I have all these children in my bed and. Pretty soon, uh, somehow, uh, your brother got a hold of my checkbook. How did your brother get a hold of my checkbook? What? Why is he spending my money? I, and then he tells a friend who is uh, has, a, has a cocaine addiction, how is he now spending my money? What is going on here? This is kind of, I'm kind of, what is, how, where'd my money go? I can't even find my money. And where's my bed? And where's my Jesus? I can't find any of it. And then Lulu goes on a, a missions trip to Tijuana. And then pretty soon I have Jose on my couch. How did Jose get on my couch? Some people would say, well, Brother Danny, this is the Christian life. It is no longer you who live but everyone living in your space. <laughs> now, let me tell you something. This is not the Christian life. This is a panic attack. This is what it feels like to have no control over the core of your life. If you've ever worked with an abused child, someone who is trained from birth, that they have no power in their life that anyone at any time can exploit them however they want to. That would be the experience of an abused child who does not believe that they are powerful. They, in fact, do believe that they are a victim because everything else is more powerful than them. This is not the Christian life. This is a life that the devil would like you to believe that you have by pounding you with demands by pounding you with distractions, by pounding you with information to make you make decisions, to keep you confused, for you to not even know what is, what is true and what is false, for, for you to not even know what the rules are anymore, for you to be hounded to death 
with being overstimulated. The book of Daniel talks about this where the pompous one is, is boasting against the, the most high. And he's talking about a strategy to wear out the saints of the most high. And that strategy is to keep the saints guessing at what the rules are. What are the cultural norms? What, what, what are the laws? What, what is right and wrong? For you to, to constantly be in a, in a state of anxiety over what you should be doing and you shouldn't be doing, what is right, what is wrong. On top of that, most of us have a little device in your pocket or in your purse that is giving absolute strangers access to your attention. Your pocket is buzzing like crazy. Oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Sorry, excuse me. Oh, Oh, football scores. Oh, oh, oh yeah, somebody I haven't seen in four years is texting me. Oh, oh, somebody left a Facebook post. Oh, tweet. Oh. I, I live across the street from a park, and I watch parents with their children at the park. And the children are playing on the, on the swings while the parents are like, This has invaded my family because I can't even, I can't even put it down. I, can't, I don't even know what to do. If this thing buzzes, I must obey. I must obey. <laughs> Boundaries communicate value. They, they set us up to... to sort out our life and to send a message to the people around us. This this group of people right here, this is you in my life. Love you. Think you're awesome. Not trying to hurt your feelings. I didn't say you were out here. You're right here. This is you. I'm giving you my time, my energy, access, like nobody else in this area, I'm giving it to you. You're welcome. If one of you comes to me and says, Danny, the engine on my car blew up. I'm like, oh my gosh. Did you tell Brent? Or Suzanne, did you tell one of those guys? If you go to Bethel Church, you're at Bethel Church, and you come up to me and you say, Danny, engine on my car blew up. I think, oh, my gosh. Hey, you know what? Here is the the number to my mechanic. Tell him that I sent you. He'll give you a good deal. If one of my buddies, Bill Johnson, Chris Valton, Banning Leapshire, Paul Manwaring, one of those guys comes up to me and says, oh, man, engine on my car blew up. I'm like, hey, you know what? Sherry and I have two cars. Why don't you take one of my cars until yours is fixed? If one of my children calls me and says, Dad, engine on my car blew up, I think to myself, dang, 
This is going to cost me $3,000. There's a special lady in my life named Sherry. She calls me and she says, Honey, smoke, oil, water coming out of the engine of the car. I think to myself, I am talking to the woman who's going to choose the color of my next car. Each of these levels of access communicates the value for that relationship in my life. How much time, how much energy, how much of my resource, as well as the priority that I'm going to give that person when when life happens. So if somebody from Bethel Church calls my house and says, Danny, I got a flat tire. Can you come help me? I say, wow. Um, it's, it's Delaney's birthday today, my granddaughter. Um, I'm going to be here for at least two or three hours. Let me give you Chris Valentin's number. <laughs> Let me give you somebody's number that I know can help you. But I won't be going anywhere. And I just sent them a message. I just sent them a message that, you know what? The priority that you have in my life is after my granddaughter's birthday. And I just sent a message to my granddaughter that said, you know what? I will protect you and your time and your access to Papa from external threats. Your boundaries on your life communicate value. And they're also fluid relationships. They move around. If, you know, there's, there's relationships where this person, I've, I've shared a bed. We had children. This was a place of intimacy. And now you are out here with Al-Qaeda. Because you became a scary relationship that cannot handle access and intimacy in my life. Maybe one of my children decides, you know what? I'm going to see what heroin does to your life. So my son or my daughter begins to find themselves moved further and further away from this place of access and intimacy because they begin to bring scary people into my world. They begin to steal stuff from my house. They begin to become scary to me and my family because of their behavior. And so they begin to find themselves out where absolute strangers have access to my life. Maybe I change all the locks on my house because... This precious relationship, whose spot I will always save, that person cannot handle that level of access. But I will save that spot for them, and I will look on the horizon for their return. But until they come to themselves, they quite likely will be out here eating with the pigs.
Sometimes someone is, has experienced a divorce and there's children involved. And one of the children end up in this spot in my life. One of, one of my children have become my most intimate relationship. And then I meet somebody and they move their way in. And now they are about to become this spot here. They're about to become there, but there's somebody there. It's a mistake to say to the person who you're about to marry, my children will always be my top priority. My children will always be in the spouse slot in my life, which means the best one you can do is one of the children's slots. You will, be, you will always be subject to my relationship with my children. See, in order for this relationship to be a mature adult soul tie with, with whoever you've called in, your child's going to have to be returned to where they belong and this person's going to be moved in. See, second, second marriages are at a greater risk of divorce than first marriages for this very reason that we never make a covenant. Sometimes I uh, meet somebody on Facebook and I like one of their posts and they saw my picture and they like my picture. So they asked to be my friend. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even know who this person is. But that's okay. I have lots of friends. I don't know who they are. So we're friends on Facebook. And before I know it, we're chatting back and forth personal message, and then we're tweeting, like, oh my gosh, this is really going somewhere. <laughs> and so maybe at some point we exchange email addresses. Oh, email, yeah, my email address. Well, okay, we're emailing back and forth. Now we're starting to spend time and energy and effort on this relationship more exclusively than Facebook. Like, oh my gosh, this, this thing really is moving along. Now we're sending pictures to each other. And then we decided to FaceTime each other to see if your pictures actually match the ones on Facebook. <laughs> you actually do look like that person. Oh my gosh. I think I like you. Let's move this to the next level. Maybe we could meet face to face in person. Wouldn't that be something? So pretty soon we spend lots of time on the phone. We're hanging out together. And that I'm about to move you into my most intimate circle of friends. And as soon as I do, all my friends go, who's she? Who's she? What's she doing in here? And what do you mean you can't go play basketball? Where have you been anyway? You're scaring me, man. I don't even know this girl. You met her on Facebook? Are you kidding me? We've known each other since kindergarten, and you just let somebody in here from Facebook? And so this person has to make it past the friend's sniff test, you know. She, I don't know if she's okay or not. And now you've decided to move this young lady into the place of marriage. Problem is, there's somebody in there. Mom. Mom's in there. Nobody loves me like my mama. Nobody understands me like my mama. My mama's been here my whole life. 
I love my mama, but now I got this girl in here, and I gotta, I gotta do something quicker. They're gonna kill each other. <laughs> They're gonna kill each other trying to prove which one of them is the most intimate relationship in my life. So now I gotta move mama out, out here with the friends, and the friends are like, "Hey, what's extra mom doing out here?" <laughs> I said, well, my mom's out there because I moved her in. Like, oh, well, but she's not happy about that. Yeah, she's not very happy about that. And then pretty soon we start having children, and now mom gets moved out here. Like, oh, my gosh, how did mom get moved way out there? This is how you thank me? This is after all this, this is how you thank me. <laughs> Say, mom, I got, I got stuff to do. I got, I got kids to take care of. I got all these people want stuff and time and energy from me. Well, I am your mama. Don't you forget that. These relationships are fluid. They move around. There, there comes a time when our relationships change and someone has more access and someone has less access. And it's important that we learn to communicate that and that we learn to protect that. So how do we set boundaries anyway? We set boundaries first and foremost by Learning to require more and more respect, the more access, the more time, the more energy I give a relationship. I require that you bring value, protection, responsibility, the closer you get. The more intimate our relationship becomes, the more I require. Now, when people have a hard time requiring respect in a relationship, it's generally linked to this. It's generally linked to, I don't have very much value for me. I'm like that building that has no doors and no windows. And I see myself as really having nothing to protect. And when you find yourself in that spot, you, you, you really need to take time and get some healing there because... According to Jesus, you are worth dying for. You're worth the Son of Man dying. That's how valuable you are. And the freedom that he's given you, the destiny that he died for you to have, that is yours to steward. Your yes is yours to steward. Nobody else is going to take care of that for you. So in order for you to communicate, I require that you bring respect with you to this relationship, you first have to realize that you have valuable things in your life to protect. And you want to get really good at telling telling other people what you're going to be doing. Get out of the, the, the practice of trying to control other people and learn to tell other people what you will be doing in your relationships what you'll be doing in response to their behavior, what you'll be doing in response to the way they've treated their place of access. What will you be doing? Not what do they have to do. You don't control what they have to do. You don't control the way they talk to you. You don't control the way they treat your stuff. You don't control the way they treat your heart. You don't control what they do. You control what you do. There's a line. There's a line where your life stops and their life starts. There are two people in this relationship. 
I don't control your side of us. It's interesting to me to watch Jesus. Jesus comes to another town. And you remember, remember the story about blind Bartimaeus? Blind Bartimaeus is so blind, his first name is blind, right? <laughs> blind Bartimaeus is in town. Jesus is coming into town. Here he comes. And blind Bartimaeus hears that Jesus, the miracle worker, gives eyes, blind eyes sight. He begins to cry out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And his friends are trying to shut him up, and he cries out all the louder. Finally, Jesus hears him and says, bring him here. Bring him here. So they bring blind Bartimaeus to Jesus. They set him down. Jesus walks up to this line and stops and says, what is it that you want? And a Bartimaeus is sitting there going, so, so he grabs one of his buddies. He says, hey, 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 is, uh, is, is, is Jesus blind too? What, what is it that I want? See, if you and I were batting a thousand, I mean, everybody we prayed for got their miracle. You know what we'd be doing? We'd be running down the halls of the hospitals. Shaba, here you go. Take it. Be healed. You're welcome. Here you go. More. Boom. 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 Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm going to be here all week. I'll be here all week. I'll be here all week. (laughs) Jesus comes to this line and stops and says, what is it that you want? And Bartimaeus says, my sight. And Jesus says, here. See, Jesus has great respect for this line. His great respect for your freedom, great respect for your life. And somehow we miss that line and we think I'm doing you a great favor because I love you. Well, that doesn't change the fact that you're over the line in my life. I don't control you. On a good day, I control me. And I will respect this line. And please understand that it's not, it's not your words. It's not your threats. It's not your begging. It's not your pleading. It's not your negotiations that change relationships. It's your, your behavior. It's your actions that change your relationships. It's your actions that set limits with people. So, I mean, you have the ability to simply change the number of disrespectful relationships you participate in. See, do you realize that when you have a disrespectful relationship, it's because you're participating in it? That would be your decision. 
So when you find yourself in that exchange with someone, you can simply say, I'll be glad to finish this conversation as long as it stays respectful. Now, the person that you're talking to doesn't believe a word you're saying. They're like, whatever, whatever. And here they come. <laughs> and here they come. Because they, they have no reason to believe you. So as soon as you say, I would be glad to finish this conversation as long as it stays respectful, which means I understand you're upset. I understand this didn't work the way you were hoping it would. I know you got a bunch of hurt and a bunch of fear in there and, and be as upset as you need to be. But I'll have this conversation as long as it stays respectful. And when it turns disrespectful and they are now accusing and attacking your character and trying to tell you all about you, you can simply say, I'll be back when it's respectful. Now, there's something amazing that happens. Everywhere your feet go, your ears go with them. <laughs> Try it. It's true. It's clinically proven. And the farther your ears get away from a disrespectful mouth, the easier it is to manage you. But I don't know about you, but if you stay in the presence of a disrespectful exchange, it isn't too long before you are very tempted to return the favor. So you have to take responsibility for how much disrespect you cultivate in your life. That is your choice. That is your decision. And every disrespectful exchange you have, you decided to enter. Number one reason that we don't set boundaries is we're scared. I'm scared of what you will, you will do. I'm scared of what will happen to me. I'm scared of what will happen to me. We've not been given fear as the catalyst for our relationships. We've been given a spirit of power of love, of self-control, of a sound mind. We've been given all the equipping necessary to manage ourselves well, as Jesus did. And Jesus sets his face like flint to Jerusalem and, and moves himself to endure the cross because of the burning yes inside of him and the joy on the other side. Jesus satisfies his destiny in three powerful years of ministry. Without a car, without the internet, without Velcro. We have no excuses. It's, it's managing the yes by willingness to say no and taking responsibility for that yes, understanding 
that you can't say yes without saying no. Amen? Amen. I'd like you to all stand, please. I'd like us to read this together, all right? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. Did you get that? Okay, now... uh, Put your hands on your hips. Let's read it again. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. Whoa, did you see what happened right there? Now keep your hands on your hips. And just take a step forward and kind of lean on your front foot. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Come on. Did you feel that? You just got a promotion and courage right there. You're starting to believe it, and your body's reinforcing it. So, Father, I pray that we receive tonight an impartation of supernatural courage to live love, to speak the truth in love, to lay our lives down for our friends, for our priorities, to live the burning yes that you've given us. Father, that we would not shrink away from who you've called us to be, we would not turn our lives over to another. But we would walk with you who you've created us to be and that our lives culminate together to give glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.